0: You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we're starting this new series called The Genius of Jesus. And uh, there's this unique paradox that exists in the church world. Uh, Outside the walls of buildings like this all over the world... People in every society have identified men and women of remarkable intellect, creativity, and accomplishment, and they've labeled them geniuses. Uh, why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're a genius. I know, so many of you said that sarcastically. <laughs> so sarcastically. Uh, maybe there's a few geniuses in, our house, in the house today. Um, There are individuals like Wolfgang, Amadeus Mozart, Marie Curie, and Vincent Van Gogh that that without question, we would identify them as geniuses. And yet, throughout much of church history, the intellect, creativity, and advancement that we see in the rest of society is assumed to not have a place in church. The the thought has been prevalent for hundreds of years that... that That The church is a place to, to feel and to be moved, but never to think, to analyze, or to experience the unmistakable touch of genius. But over these next five weeks, this month, we want to take that paradox head on and present a different perspective. It's the idea that at the center of this framework we call the Christian faith is this guy named Jesus, who was not just some religious guy that walked the earth and made people feel better, but he was a true genius in so many different ways. And for the next five weeks, we're going to dissect five different areas of genius that that he embodied and lived out during his life here on earth. Next week, for Mother's Day, we're going to be talking about the genius of empathy. The following week, we'll be talking about the genius of the good, After that, the genius of grace, and then we'll close out this month talking about the genius of the true. Uh, Today, though, we want to look at this really unique, true genius approach Jesus had to this topic of power. Now, power is one of those cringe words that none of us like to be on the other end of. I'm sure you've been there. We all have these bosses or people in our lives that have used power to their advantage and to our detriment. We even have a phrase for it. We say that that someone went on a power trip, right? Uh, No one likes being on the wrong side of that kind of power. And yet, in much of society, this is the primary expression that we see of power. A, A driven individual that utilizes pure passion, talent, or authority to exert control over the circumstances around them and ultimately over the people that are beneath them. And when we read the Bible, one of the things we often Uh, do is we read our 21st century American perspective into everything that we're reading. To accurately understand what is happening and really the genius behind what Jesus taught, we have to step out of our context and into the world that Jesus was living in. It it was a world where the concept of power, especially for first century Jews, uh, that Jesus lived in, was born into had this clear, unmistakable figurehead. It was a world leader who had lived a few hundred years earlier but had shaped the definition of power for the centuries that would follow his moment in history. At the age of 20 years old, Alexander III of Macedonia would follow in his father's footsteps as the ruler of what would be eventually one of the largest empires in ancient society. Within a decade, he would conquer the entire Gnome world. He never experienced defeat. The, his military expertise was renowned. His, his understanding of philosophy and culture and society would make the Greeks the standard of the world. Alexander III of Macedonia would forever be known by a different title that he embodied, which was Alexander the Great. Consequently, he would be the unmistakable standard and definition of power for hundreds of years after his life and after his role. In fact, as the Romans took control of the world, everything they would would do held Alexander the Great as the benchmark, especially for their achievement, their expressions of power. In fact, every Roman Caesar would live in the mold that Alexander the Great had set. They would not just consider themselves competent leaders. They would actually don the title of deity And with this view of power, the Romans would roll with unmatched dominance and cruelty. They wouldn't just conquer nations. They would force them in complete submission. And this Roman world that that, uh, Jews lived in and Jesus was born into was different than our world. It was a society that defined power by its ability to get others to submit. The expression of this power was found in not only who you conquered, but how you ultimately conquered them. Greatness was achieved by your ruthless expression of power. This is why Jews for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, had viewed their soon-coming Messiah as their quote-unquote Alexander the Great. This figure that would conquer the powers that ruled them and finally would establish a Jewish kingdom on earth. And It made complete sense that the deliverer they were looking for would be a person that would stand up to their enemies would ultimately conquer them with pure strength, and finally would set them free. But, but then you look at the life that Jesus lived and the teaching that he shared. It was an incredibly disappointing counter to that mold. It wasn't that he didn't have the power to win a war, but he was fighting a completely different battle he wasn't trying to free us from rulers, empires, or, and dictators that dominate the world. He was ultimately trying to free us from ourselves. That, that battle to find freedom from ourselves cannot be won with brute strength, with might, or through oppression. That battle was won through humility, sacrifice, and service. Now, now for most of us, the need for power is connected to a desire for freedom and for independence. For a first century Jew, this was magnified many times over beyond what we see. The Jews had been conquered and ruled over for generation after generation. They always seemed to find themselves on the wrong end of power. Rather than exerting power, they were most often on the receiving end of it. And this poses an interesting question to ponder. Is it possible to possess power without freedom? Can you have power if you don't have freedom? I know we are Americans, 21st century, and we would say, yes, you have to have freedom to have power. Is it possible? Now, when you understand what it's like to live under oppression, generation after generation, you can start to understand the mindset of the Jews in the first century. In these types of settings, you don't talk about the oppression around you. It's just understood. It's a fact that everyone is aware of and works its way into how You view everything you do. An outsider might misunderstand their silence as indifference, but it wasn't. It's simmering indignation. As 21st century Americans, when we read the stories of the Gospels, we read these scriptures with an assumption of freedom and democracy that first century Jews did not possess and didn't even fully grasp or understand. They couldn't relate to it. We can easily read these stories as if Jesus was born free, but he was not born free. No Jew in the first century was born free. They were born in captivity and oppression. This can be difficult for us to grasp, but it's key to understand what Jesus taught about power. I'll be honest with you, it's incredibly difficult for me, as a middle-aged white male, to fully understand the struggles and battles that many of my African-American friends have faced every day of their lives, still faced on a daily basis, that their ancestors have faced in America for hundreds of years. But, But while I maybe don't fully understand it, when I work to understand their perspective and their struggle, I can learn not only more about them, but also more about myself and how I can face what's in front of me. And when you look at the Hebrews living under Roman rule in the first century, we might not fully grasp it, but we have to understand how deeply, deeply they longed for freedom. The air they breathed every day was filled with the bitterness of oppression. You see, there is no such thing as a willing slave looking lovingly and benevolently to uh, serve their master. That doesn't exist. Jesus, Jews, Jews during this time prayed to God desperately for a deliverer. They dreamt about the day when the Romans' ruthless hold would finally be broken. And some, some, some longed for freedom. Many others, they longed for revenge. For those, violence and revolt was the only path to freedom. And this is the world into which Jesus spoke about, of all things, peace. In Matthew, chapter 5, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there's the Old Testament, the first part, the New Testament, the second part, and the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, the very first book, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of this, his most famous uh, message or sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's almost as Jesus jumps into this, almost as if he is answering a question that wasn't even being asked. Here's what it says in verse 35 of Matthew chapter five. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You've probably heard this saying before. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And then he takes it a step further, verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He's, he's not talking about perfectly following the law because he, he calls the religious leaders out for that, for, for making it all about following roles and laws. He's talking more about how they treated their enemies. I can just imagine Jews whispering this, this aspect of the Old Testament law under their breath, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Every single time they walk the streets where Roman soldiers are looking down on them each time a Roman took advantage of them, they'd remember, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Every time their dignity was stolen by their oppression, they'd whisper to each other, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was this code word for Jews living in the world that Jesus walked. Even to this day, this central idea still exists in areas where oppression is still significant. Now, now for those who live in oppression, there's this understanding that revenge demands patience you hide your hate and just wait for your chance hide it push it down and when your chance presents itself you jump at it you convince yourself that revenge is a moral imperative to retaliate in similar fashion is the only way to protect and preserve your honor and dignity as a human being this of course is the problem with hate it makes us all the same If the only thing that keeps us from acting like those who have power over us is that we're powerless, then we've already become just like them. I'm going to say that again. If the only thing that keeps us from acting like those who have power over us is that we're powerless, then we've already become like them. Isn't it interesting, our human tendency to become like those we hate? Now, there's this almost universal saying that you've probably heard. that says, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't know if you've heard that. And while we can look around our world and probably see confirmation of that statement, I think it's, that statement is, is skewed and wrong. After all, God has absolute power and he's incorruptible. Here's rather what I believe about absolute power. I believe it reveals... Ultimately, what's already there. In other words, power gives freedom to what has been hidden beneath the surface. What ultimately resides in the human heart, power tells the truth. Power flings open the prison cell and sets what's ultimately inside of us free. Jesus seemed to have an incredible grasp of this idea. This is how today we can live in a free nation and still find ourselves prisoners because of the condition of our hearts. He knew, Jesus knew, That one day, Roman oppression would end. And yet, Israel's obsession with vengeance would still hold its people captive. Which is why Jesus told those following him the last thing they ever wanted to hear. Don't take revenge on those who have wronged you. There was no confusion, no uncertainty as to who Jesus was speaking to here. He was talking directly to his fellow Jews' hatred of the Romans and their oppression. He was explaining that to be free of Roman rule is not to become like them. And what Jesus was proposing here wasn't passive resistance or, or ignorance. He was suggesting a completely different way to view power and freedom. A way to keep both their power and their freedom while living under the oppressive standards of others. He explained it this way in verse 39 of Matthew 5. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Isn't it amazing 2,000 years ago, like Jesus was already speaking into our Will Smith moments? Like, how did he know that? How? Did, I mean, if there is evidence that he was deity and could prophesy anything, 2,000 years in advance, he calls Will Smith out. I mean, come on. Sorry. Sorry. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I can't even fathom how these words would have been received by Jews who are listening. Those listening must have thought Jesus had fallen off his rocker. Like, what is wrong with this guy? He's insane. If someone takes something from you that they don't deserve... Why in the world would you give them more? That doesn't make any sense. And this right here is the incredible genius of Jesus when dealing with your own sense of powerlessness. Here it is. You may not be free to do less than is demanded of you, but you're always free to do more. You might not be free to do less of what is demanded of you, but you're always free to do more. And this was true for Jews living in the first century who were living under oppression, and it's just as true for us today. You may not be free to show up late for work, but you can show up early. You might, not, you might, you might be legally obligated to pay taxes, but no one can stop you from being generous. You might be powerless to change the circumstances around you, But you have the freedom to change your attitude. As as I've gotten older, I've noticed this shift in how I view like household chores. I don't know if you have this experience, but things like cutting the grass. When I I was a teenager, I had to cut the grass at our house. We didn't have a huge yard, so it wasn't a huge deal, but, but oftentimes I didn't like cutting the grass. It wasn't something I looked forward to, like I got excited about. I had to cut the grass. Today, I absolutely love cutting the grass. Just a confession. I enjoy it. And I realize it's not because the physical work is enjoyable, necessarily. It's really because of this concept. Working out of freedom is far more fulfilling than working out of obligation. When you're obligated to do something, it's not fulfilling or freeing, right? But when you make the choice, it's freeing, it's fulfilling. I like cutting the grass because I am choosing to cut the grass myself. No one is forcing me, right? As a teenager, I was forced. I had to. Here's the deal. When you want to regain the sense of freedom and power, even when there are things you can't control, do more than is expected, and you will always live free. When you do more than is expected, you always will live free. Nelson Mandela once said this. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. This is a man who was imprisoned for 27 years, not because of the wrong he had done, but simply because of the color of his skin. While in prison, he would miss the joy of raising his kids, the dignity of burying his mother and his oldest son. He would be treated in the inhumane ways by a people consumed with racism and hatred toward his people. And yet, on February 11th, 1990, Nelson Mandela would experience his long-awaited freedom. The world, though, would soon come to see that Mandela had always been free because the walls that confined him could not steal his sense of freedom and power. While in prison, he pursued uh, his law degree. A few years after being released from prison, In 1993, he would be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The following year, the unthinkable in that world and culture and society would happen. South Africa would elect its very first black president in Nelson Mandela. And as he stepped into power as the president, he didn't wield his power to enact revenge against his oppressors, but rather he used it to bring a broken nation back together. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said to turn the other cheek, to give someone your cloak, or to walk the second mile. You see, never allow anyone else's actions to lead you to be less. Don't ever allow someone else's actions to lead you to be less. Their use of power reveals who they really are, and your response to that power reveals who you really are. In this discourse, Jesus outlines three different scenarios. You can read them later. We read them a minute ago. As we close today, though, I want to zero in on the last one. Here's what it said in Matthew 5:41. It says this. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. When Jesus spoke of here was not some hypothetical scenario. This was something Jews listening would have all experienced. At that time, there were laws in place that said a Roman soldier was permitted to order a Jewish subject to carry their equipment for up to a mile on the road. This practice originated hundreds of years earlier in the Persian Empire under Cyrus the Great. Cyrus would create the postal system to carry letters and documents from city to city throughout the Persian Empire. To make this system work, the soldiers who served as couriers were allowed to force any traveler that they came across along the way to carry their packs, which some believed weighed somewhere between 60 and 70 pounds, and they had to carry them for up to a mile. This practice would allow their horses a short break from the road uh, uh, while that, that traveler, that person, carried the pack. This practice remained intact into the Roman Empire and throughout the Roman Empire. The Roman soldiers could demand any Jew carry their pack for up to a mile on their journey. This was made easier because Romans and their road systems had markers. So it was very clear to identify when you reached that one mile marker. And if a Jew refused to follow this order, he could be beaten or whipped right there on the spot. After that mile was complete, the Roman soldier would release their victim from compliance and would return their pack to their horse It would only be then that that Hebrew was free to leave. It set up this humiliating journey for Hebrews, ordered to do the work of a mule. It was a constant reminder that Jews didn't even have the freedom to order their own steps. Yet Jesus shows up and sets a completely different path toward freedom. He says, when they demand that you carry this pack for a mile, carry it for two miles, just when the Romans think they've broken your will and forced you into slave labor, you walk the second mile with freedom. Can you imagine the face of the soldier when they stop after the first mile to receive their pack back and their subject is free to go and the person insists on carrying it a second mile? Can you sense the, 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 the power and the freedom of that moment? I could just hear it, hear it now. No, no really, I'm, I'm good. I'm not tired and your horse clearly is struggling. I, I don't fault you at all for asking me. It's my pleasure to serve you and to help. After all, the strength and will of the Hebrew people is well known throughout the world. This is nothing short of genius. It flips the entire equation upside down. And here's my challenge to you today. When you find that emotion rising up within you, that moment you're asked or even demanded to do what you don't feel you should be doing, the moment you feel oppressed, use service as your power. Do more than is expected. Go beyond what is asked. After all, there are no laws and no rules that stop a person from doing more than is expected of them. Because you may not be free to do less than is demanded of you. You're always free to do more. As we we wrap up today, we're going to pray here in a minute. And and here's the deal. When, When we look at our lives and where we find ourselves so often, we find ourselves so powerless to our circumstances, don't we? We can't control all the junk that maybe we inherited from our family heritage. Oftentimes, after the fact, we can't control the consequences of the mistakes and the moments we screwed up. They kind of just happen, and we've lost control of that. And we find ourselves as human beings, so much of our time, effort, energy, and story is spent trying to overcome the past, to overcome the mistakes we've made, to overcome the mistakes others have made against us, to overcome the junk that we've inherited. We spend so much of our time trying to overcome. Things that maybe in the end we can't fully overcome. Maybe it's a label that you've been given. You're an alcoholic. You're, you're, you're an addict. You're this or that. It's a label that you've been given, and you cannot run it. And here's what's remarkable about what Jesus did and how he approached power. He took what is impossible. Your freedom, what we might call your salvation, your redemption. He took what is impossible, because that's that's impossible. And he gave you the freedom to do more than is expected of you so that you could experience true freedom. What's that? He said, offer me your whole self. Surrender to me everything that you are. You're like, man, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, it is. Offer me everything you are. And when you offer me everything you are, you experience the freedom that only comes when you give more than is expected. Well, no one else is doing that. I get it. No one else is. But no one else is also experiencing that kind of freedom. When you live under the oppression of your past, not just a person's oppression, but your past story, your family, your mistake. When you live under the oppression of your past, the only way out, the only way to experience freedom, the only way to fling open the prison doors is to do more than is expected. To say, Jesus, I give you everything all that I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, my hopes and my dreams, I give it all to you. The fear is in taking that step, you relinquish control. The reality is we never had control in the first place. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, later today. It's trusting the one who does and saying, God, I wanna follow your leading. He's the one with the roadmap, I wanna follow your plan purpose for my life he made you and created you and wired you the way you are for a reason i want to follow his leading his plan would you bow your heads with me as we pray god i thank you for today and i thank you for what you're doing in our lives i pray for those that are here that maybe don't know you i pray lord that you would give them strength holy spirit to take a step to say i want to follow jesus as you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here and you, or you're watching online, you say, Nick, I've never taken that step to surrender my life to Jesus, to experience his redemption, his forgiveness of my past, to, to, to experience his fullness and the purpose he has for my life. And I've never committed my life to Jesus to say, I want to follow him. This isn't about a religious thing or being a part of a church thing. This is about saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do more than is expected of me. I want to give all that I am to him that I could be free from the oppression of my past. If that's you this morning, in a minute, I'm gonna count the three and I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. Do you have to do that? No, but we're asking you to do more than is expected. To say today, Jesus, I'm offering you everything, all that I am, my hopes and my dreams, my past, my brokenness. I'm offering it all to you and I wanna follow your lead, your purpose, your reason for being for my life. I wanna live my life for that. I want to experience the fullness of forgiveness that my past doesn't own me or dictate what I can or cannot do any longer, but you do. I'm gonna give everything, do more than is expected. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven, wherever you are. If you're here in the room or watching online, one, two, three. If that's you this morning, amen, 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 amen. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer with me as I lead you. And this this prayer isn't a magic formula. It's just a conversation with God that I want to lead you in. And my hope is that this is the first of many conversations you have with God. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. Even when I mess up, when I make mistakes, thank you for giving me a way out that I don't have to be owned or oppressed by my past but you have given me the option of freedom. Today, I offer you my very being. All that I am, I give to you. I accept your forgiveness. I commit to live for your purposes. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have.